Good morning. Welcome to Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We are glad that you're here with us today and that you have chosen to worship with us. We want to welcome any guests or visitors that we may have with us today. We especially want to welcome the Gardner-Webb soccer team that is here with us this morning. We welcome you here today. The flowers that are placed in our sanctuary up front here are in honor of the 65th wedding anniversary that happened on August 17th of Reed and Irene Murray. Reed and Irene, we certainly congratulate you on 65 years of marriage. We appreciate you being here this morning. We are glad that you are here to worship with us. Um, Sandy Quattlebaum is, has a few announcements this morning. Oh, and I, before she comes up and, and does that, I did want to say that um, the funeral for Miss Virginia Harris is this afternoon at 2 o'clock. And if any of you are willing to um, sing in the choir, if you would just come and let Candy know that following the service. Sandy? Good morning. Um, just wanted to make a special invitation to the ladies of our church. On Wednesday night, September the 6th, we will begin our fall women's study at 6 o'clock in the Kerygma classroom. Uh, this study will be based on a Max Licato book called Traveling Light. And the subtitle of this book is Releasing the Burdens You Were Never Intended to Bear.
Uh, my name is JT, and I'm going to be reading Psalm 113, 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. Praise all servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens, who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. Our hymn of praise this morning is He is Exalted. You'll find it um, on the screens as well as the words in your order of service. We're going to sing it through twice. And just for your information, this is um, one of the hymns from Celebrating Grace. Looks like our children families are taking one last opportunity to uh, hit the road this weekend. And so we are going to, uh, I'm going to ask Tony Setzer to come on and, and uh, make his way down here. But we are grateful. <laughs> we are grateful to have Tony and the soccer team in about this time every year. And uh, some of the team uh, that members I know here this morning have been here before with us, some probably for a few years. But uh, I, I was picking on Tony this year. I said, Tony, the church has had you in every year. And I said, not one year have you been asked to speak. And I said, not this year. I said, you've got to bring greetings from Gardner Webb and from the soccer team this year. And, uh, and just mention as well about the, the relationship between Tony and or Gardner Webb, really in Boiling Springs. But Tony, we're grateful to have you here and just share some words of greetings with us this morning. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. This is home for me. This community has always been home. In 1905, the Sandy Run Baptist Association wanted to have Christian education. And Boiling Springs Baptist Church convinced them to place a small campus about a quarter of a mile that way in this town. Hence, Boiling Springs Elementary School was born, or Boiling Springs School was born. That school grew 
to a junior high, to a high school, to a junior college. All the while, this church has been their shepherd over them. This church has been the guiding church that helped found it. If you look across the street, now many of our students know this, but across the street is a graveyard. That graveyard sat in front of the chapel, which is now, used to be this chapel, well, is this chapel now, but used to be Boiling Springs Baptist Church. All along the way, Boiling Springs Baptist Church and Gardner-Webb have had a rich history in a community. That's what the most important thing is, the community, the Boiling Springs community. I still remember several instances in 30 years, in 25 years of coming to honor that commitment from this church to that school is why I come here. That's why I'm here. It's because all of the great people here, through all the times that that university has had, you have been with them. You make this community. You make the Gardner Web experience richer and deeper because of who you are as people. I remember my first year here, a long time ago, there was a gentleman named Maxwell B. Hamrick. I used to go to the snack shop. And he used to come up and sit beside me. The first Boiling Springs resident, it's kind of tribalism here too. Once a Boiling Springs resident takes you in, everybody takes you in. <laughs> but he sat with me and he said, I don't know a thing about what you do, but I know those boys are good looking athletes. And he'd walk around the field and he'd stop. And, and I'm gonna tell a story about one of the congregation members, Mr. Klein Hamrick. When I first got here, I did not know how to mow on a field. I knew how to use a lawnmower. I'd used it, everybody used one, but nobody's used a five-gain hitch with a tractor before, especially me. Klein says, all you need to do is put the, put the mower reels down, ease off the clutch, and just drive. When you get to the end, pick them up, turn around, do it again. Well, the first time I got on the tractor, I thought it was a sports car, because I popped the clutch, and that tractor had the gang hitch down now, mind you, and popped up on two wheels. And I was doing a wheelie with cutting grass like this down the way. Now, Klein Hamrick, being Klein Hamrick, was horse laughing me on the side. He was laughing so hard, he could not tell me to put the clutch back in. So him and Wallace Carp Carpenter had a good laugh. I also see Dr. Gene, and, and he's been, he was my doctor when I first got here, and I can tell you, this, is, this sums up your community and sums up what you do for this community and how welcome you always make the Gardner-Webb students feel is. I can remember being sick one day before a game. I saw Dr. Gene. Dr. Gene said, oh, don't worry about it. Just come on to the office. He drove over to the office and met me on a Saturday morning and got me fixed up for a game. That's what Boiling Springs is. That's what this community is. It's welcoming and loving. And when you had Psalms 113, verse 7 sums it up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now, I'm not saying our students are ash heap. <laughs> what I am saying is that that is the way that this community is. If you're in need, that everybody shows up. If you need lifting up, just go to the snack shop. Everybody around this community lifts us up. And it's your prayers, your welcoming, your love of this university is why we keep coming, is because we want to honor what you've done for us and for this community and make this place a home. 
Thank you, and we are proud to be with you. And thank you for feeding us all these years and taking care of us and welcoming our annual showing up to the church to honor you. Thank you, Tony. I had heard the story. I'd reminded him of the story about Klein before church. I, I, that, that was in my, my uh, memory. And so uh, I made sure or to mention that to Tony. And Tony, thank you. You, to, you tell it so much better than I ever could. I um, want to mention just a few things briefly before I pray this morning. One is next Sunday during the Sunday school hour, we'll be having a time called Starting Point. Uh, we have had uh, many uh, returning visitors with us uh, this summer. And uh, we have mailed out an invitation to come and to learn more about Bowling Springs Baptist and uh, learn more about who we are as a church, our different ministries. And so if you know of someone that is interested in taking that next step and learning more about us, uh, next Sunday during the Sunday School Hour, we will meet in the Fellowship Hall. And so uh, please be mindful of that time. And also, Ellen has a need, I know, for more teachers, for some Wednesday night uh, opportunities with children. And so if you are interested, they are listed in your bulletin. Please talk to Ellen uh, or other appropriate persons uh, uh, soon, because we, these are items and areas that we certainly need to fill very, very soon. We have a growing number of younger children. I know that was one of the needs uh, there as well for a missions friends leader. And so maybe you're not interested in doing it by yourself, but maybe if you and another good friend here in the church would be interested in partnering and doing something together, uh, please let Ellen know. She would be grateful uh, to, to know that. And uh, of course, uh, Alan mentioned this, but the, the uh, service for Virginia Harris will be this afternoon at two o'clock here. Uh, in our sanctuary with visitation to follow. There are many needs maybe in your own life and family and certainly within our country and our world today. And so let us prepare our hearts now to continue on in worship. And I'm going to give you a, just a brief moment to offer your own prayer this morning. And then I will lead us in our prayer time together. Let's pray together. God is with open arms that you welcome all who call on your name who acknowledge you as Lord and look to you in faith. No one stands outside the circle of your mercy and love. And so we come to offer you our worship today to declare that you are our God and that we are your people, called and chosen by you from the very beginning. Through the presence of your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see you here, open our minds to receive your truth and our mouths to speak and to sing your praise. For you alone are God, worthy of all praise and worship now and to the end of time. Bless and heal those who are sick and undergoing procedures. God bless those who grieve, the family of Virginia Harris and also the family of Joey Costner. Bless and encourage and remind those of your presence who are homebound and in the nursing homes today. Those faced with important decisions in the days ahead, grant them direction. Those starting a new year of college this week at Garden Web, bless this special time of new beginnings with a mind that is focused. God, for our country, we pray that we would all realize that we are equal in your eyes. As your people, help us to stand for what is right and just and true. Bless each here today at the point of their need. Draw each of us closer to you. Bless the songs, your word as it is read and as it is preached. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name, the name above all names. Amen. Our hymn is number 405, Have Faith in God, 405. If you are able, please stand and join me in singing.
Let us pray. Dear God, I pray that you would forgive my sins. Lord, I pray for all those who have lost loved ones. I pray your comfort for the families of Virginia Harris and Joey Costner. Lord, please help us not to take life for granted. Thank you for life and all the many blessings you have given me and this church body. I pray that we would give back a portion of our money, time, and talents to further your kingdom's work. Amen.
Good morning. This morning I'll be reading from Acts 12, verses 1 through 17. You'd like to follow along, you can read on the screen, but I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some of those who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw it, pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. And on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and guards in the front of the door and watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the ceiling and he was struck Peter's side and aroused him saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that he did not know that was what was being being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when he had passed the first and second guard, he came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all of the Jewish people and all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door at the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda called, came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because her, when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her great joy, she did not even open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the front gate. And they said to her, "You are out of your mind." But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, "It is an angel." But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand. To be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. May God, write it, uh, may God add his rich blessings to the reading of his word. Oh. 
Well, thank you, choir. Each week when we're planning the service, Candy and I, she tries and does a great job of putting hymns that are appropriate to the sermon. And uh, it was rumored that uh, the choir was working on Jailhouse Rock today. But, <laughs> but I think what you did was more appropriate. I think at the name of Jesus, uh, I, think, I think you got it right today. But uh, today's sermon, you've seen the title, uh, Jailhouse Prayer. The first part of the sermon is about the jailbreak, if you will, and the second part is about the prayer. If you like prison movies over the years, you may be in luck to, with today's sermon. Many movies have been made about Alcatraz, you know, the famous prison that sits about a mile off the bay there in San Francisco. And uh, you know, it's the, the idea that how can anyone ever escape from this prison? Well, in 1979, Clint Eastwood, you may remember this, I think I have watched the movie once, but uh, Clint Eastwood starred, starred in a movie called Escape from Alcatraz. And just for that movie, they put room numbers above the, the, the cells I've heard, and those, those numbers are still there if you go and you see the, the prison today. But uh, there were three men in 1962. The movie was about this, the story of these three men, Frank Morris and brothers Clarence and John Anglin, who escaped from Alcatraz that sits on uh, Catalina Island. Many have tried to escape Alcatraz, but to this day, they cannot figure out how these three men were able to escape from the island, the Catalina Island that sits in the bay. Frigid cold waters filled with sharks. No one knows how they did it. Other movies that are popular, you may have seen, Shawshank Redemption starring Morgan Freeman. And then you've got The Green Mile starring Tom Hanks. And you could maybe name off other prison movies that you are familiar with that you've watched. But the text this morning has all of the drama, the excitement, and the suspense, and you throw in a miracle and a few angels, and you got another great movie. The only problem is it's not a movie, but actually God intervening in Peter's life in a very real way. And let me give you some background in the text, and thank you, Tim, for reading that this morning. The church was growing and expanding in new areas. We've seen that as we've looked throughout Acts this summer. James, it tells us in verse two, has just been put to death with the sword. And scholars believe, if you research that a little bit, that it was not just with the sword, but what that meant was James was beheaded for his faith by Herod. Let me take just a second and remind you about the Herods in the New Testament. All strong men let their ambitions and pursuits lead them to perform devastating atrocities in the name of fame and of power and of prestige. You had Herod the Great, who was the ruler who controlled Palestine at the birth of Jesus, a ruthless man. He's the one who ordered the deaths, uh, the murders of all the babies of Bethlehem, thinking that if he killed uh, all those under two, he would succeed in killing the one that meant, uh, we're saying, uh, was the king of the Jews. Other Herods, you've got Herod Antipas, the one responsible for killing John the Baptist, if you remember that in the New Testament there. You've got Herod Agrippa, uh, the first one who we are looking at this morning. And then you have Herod Agrippa II, the one who Paul had dealings with later in the book of Acts, later in his ministry. The one thing we do know about Herod Agrippa is that he tried to get on the, on the Jews' good side. We, that, we see that even here in our text. What he did with James pleased the crowd. It pleased the Jewish leaders. And he did this, King Herod, for political reasons. Some things never change in our world, do they? He honestly had a genuine respect for Judaism and was a half Jew himself. Peter was doing what he was told to do, to spread the gospel, to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was doing that very faithfully and very boldly. But what happened? Not for any reason of his own, but he's preaching and doing what God had called him to do. And he's now placed in prison. He's being detained and persecuted 
for something the Lord himself told him to do. Peter could have done two things. Peter could have said, he could have given up. He could, he could have become angry at God. He could have said, you know what? I've had it. This is the third time that I've stood up for Christ. I've, speak, uh, I've spoken boldly about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. Challenge peoples. We've seen many converted thousands converted here in the book of Acts, but I've, I'm, I'm done. I've had it. Uh, I, I keep getting in trouble. Every time I open up and speak for the Lord, I find myself back in a prison cell. He could have done that, but we we're thankful that he didn't. Peter remained steady. He knew he was doing what God had called him to do. He knew uh, that he had seen miracles before, but he didn't know this time if he was going to see another miracle and escape from this jail cell or not. We know that he was guarded by four squads with four soldiers each, and they would rotate every three hours. A new four soldiers would come in. We hear from the text that Peter was in the floor tied to two soldiers, one at his right and one at his left, because the Sanhedrin, the, the, the Jewish leaders in the day, knew that this had, Peter had been in jail once before, and they knew what had happened that time as well, and so they were taking no chances. This was max, maximum security prison in the first century, let me tell you that. So two, he was tied to two, and then two soldiers stood guard as well. Peter here chooses to believe that God has everything under control. He is imprisoned. In fact, he's heavily guarded, again, by these uh, four squads of soldiers. And uh, I would imagine that things are very uncomfortable for Peter, okay? You just imagine what that prison cell would have been like in the first century. But in the midst of the stress, in the midst of the anxiety, in the midst of the uncertain situation, what is Peter doing? He's sleeping. I don't know if I, you know, I, I, I just can't imagine that I would be sleeping. And not only was he just kind of nodding off, he was asleep. We know that because the angels, it said, had to strike him on the side. It didn't say nudge him. You know, I can imagine, you know, those of you that have had teenagers before and you've had to be somewhere, you actually kind of have to, have to hit them a little bit to get them to wake up. I believe the reason that he's so heavily guarded is because he had, like I said, he had gotten out of prison before in miraculous ways and they did not want this to happen again. They, wanted, they did not want to see any Houdini-style breakouts once more. Peter trusted God to do whatever he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. And I want to stop here for a minute. This was Peter's third arrest. James, someone that he had walked with, someone that he had spent time with, someone that he had a good relationship with, had just been put to death by Herod. Peter knew, he had to know, that his time, unless a miracle happened, his fate the next morning would not be good. They were not going to kill anyone or, or trial someone, sentence someone during the feast of the Passover or, or of unleavened bread. And he knew that. And so they put him in jail in a secure place overnight. The first lesson in this part about the jailbreak is can we, like Peter, live our lives in such obedience to God that no matter what happens, we're at peace? Peter was asleep in the midst of of knowing that his life could end tomorrow morning. He had heard, he had to know that James was beheaded. Peter didn't know, but Peter rests in confidence that it's up to God at this point. Peter was asleep, resting in the fact that God was in control. He had done what he was supposed to do, and this is where he is at. He was trusting God in a bad situation to intervene however he saw fit, including leaving him there if that is what God decided to do. And not knowing what the end result would be, Peter slept. 
What an incredible message Peter gives us today. He's hours away from his death and he's sleeping. So much so that the text says the angel struck his side. Peter was walking with the Lord in partnership with the Lord. We were talking about that this morning in the men's group. So much so that he didn't panic. All of us, and I can speak honestly about my own walk with the Lord, there are times when maybe things haven't been as strong as I would want them to be. And I sensed a little bit of panic in me about circumstances or situations that were surrounding me. But it's times when we're walking with the Lord, when we're trusting in the Lord, when we don't know how things are gonna play out, but yet there's a peace within us. I think of a painting that I've seen often, I don't know if it's here in our church or not, of someone uh, holding on to a lighthouse and all the storms are just raging around that lighthouse. And um, sometimes that's like us. Sometimes we're holding on to our faith and the winds and the waves of culture and, and, and relationships and all the things that get convoluted and, and messed up sometimes are raging around us and we don't know how the story is going to play out, but yet we continue to trust. Sometimes God calls, calms the waves. Sometimes he calms the waters, but then other times he calms his child. Other times he calms us and he allows those winds and those waves to grow wild around us. Peter didn't panic. He was walking in partnership with the Lord. He didn't know how things were going to play out, but yet he didn't panic. The second part of the sermon is the church is earnestly praying for Peter. At the end of verse five, we read, so Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. We read, read later down in verse 12, where he says, and when he realized this, he went back to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered and were praying. Praying earnestly to God for Peter. Earnestly means fervently. It doesn't mean um, uh, it may not be the uh, times of prayer that we're used to or accustomed to at times. Maybe uh, it's not maybe your average Wednesday night prayer meeting, but this is, this is fervent. This is earnest. It's, it's, those, it's those prayer times when, when you get that phone call and uh, what you've just heard brings you to your knees. It's that prayer that you don't know how things are going to happen unless God intervenes. This might not end up that well. The title of the sermon is Jailhouse Prayers. They were praying together. This wasn't, again, your normal prayer meeting. I'm sure Peter prayed, but the focus on the prayer was with the church in the house of Mary here in Acts 12. If we've lived much at all, each of you know what I mean when I speak of praying a jailhouse prayer. Many of you have prayed jailhouse prayers. Some of you may just recently have prayed some jailhouse prayers. You've received news from a loved one that wasn't good. You knew of someone in crisis. You prayed some jailhouse prayers recently, maybe for our country. You're saying, God, how can this be right now? I thought we have moved on beyond this. You're praying jailhouse prayers about those you love. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. Prayers that are earnest, that are fervent, that are different from the Lord, I lay me down to sleep prayers, but gut-wrenching prayers, prayers where you ask God to show up in a big way. When you hear the doctor say that you need to have surgery for you to detach retina now or you will lose your eyesight, you, you pray a jailhouse prayer. When you receive a call that your mom has been airlifted to Mission Hospital in Asheville due to an accident in downtown Hendersonville, you pray a jailhouse prayer. Again, maybe some of you have prayed jailhouse prayers. We've all thrown up, we've all thrown up jailhouse prayers when we were in a jam or needed help. And let me ask you, what is the better solution? <clears throat> when you answer the call that takes you 
to your knees you pray again a jailhouse prayer. The church people were earnestly praying a jailhouse prayer for Peter. And the lesson for the second part of this sermon is Peter didn't find himself in trouble and then start praying desperately, asking God to save him. We looked at another passage in Acts in our men's study, and we're looking at one here again today. Peter was walking in fellowship, walking in relationship with the Lord, that when the tragic times hit, that when the crisis hit, Peter continued to trust. So much so that we read in the text that he was sleeping, knowing what fate could await him the next morning. How do you and I respond in times of crisis? Do we have a, a, a relationship with the Lord where we're walking with him so when the crisis comes, we don't panic? Or does the crisis come and we begin to panic? Whether Peter got out or not, he was okay. I read this week that it was the power of God that provided Peter's escape. It was the power of God that sent the angel and it was the power of God that loosed the chains. It was the power of God that opened that gate. And the text reminds us that this power came through earnest and fervent prayer. Our challenge in our own lives in the life of the church is that God still desires to work through the prayers of his people. He still wants to be involved in our lives. Sometimes to, to some, prayer can seem like the most ridiculous thing that we could think of. I know a few weeks ago, Dr. Michael Blackwell was doing the commencement for the summer commencement at Gardner Webb, and he spoke of what it means to be ridiculous. He gave some different examples and um, he also referenced the fact that sometimes uh, young people, I know I've shared things with my parents before, and they may not say it, but they may be thinking, that is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. Some of you know what I mean by that. But the story of Peter's jail time re and, and release sounded like the most ridiculous thing to those praying in the house. God answered their prayers despite their unbelief. Did you catch that? It says the servant girl Rhoda went to the door. Peter was knocking after the angel had let him out. He went to the door and was knocking and she went back to the people saying, Peter's at the door. And yet they kept praying. There was a, uh, in one of my former churches, there was a phone, the church phone would ring in the area where we had our Wednesday night prayer meetings. And so I know what it's like, um, it, not quite like this, but it, uh, many of you have been in those settings as well where you're praying, everything is still and there's, a, there's a, just a good focus there and all of a sudden the phone rings or all of a sudden somebody knocks at the door or something happens. Well, they're praying earnestly for Peter. Peter's knocking at the door and yet Rhoda goes and tells them Peter's at the door and they continue, no one believed. And so Peter's still out there knocking at the door. They don't believe it. And so I think church, there is hope for you and for me. James talks about a prayer of unbelief and being a double-minded man. But we see here today in Acts as well, God answers the prayer in spite of their unbelief. And so I say that there's a lot of different directions and a whole other sermon here, I think. But there's hope for you and me as well. At times when we pray and we may not fully uh, believe, we may not fully, we don't know if God, we know that God could do it, but we may not have the faith that he is going to do it. Yet we see here, Peter and his miraculous escape and the church is praying. God answered an unbelieving prayer. I want to share with you a closing illustration. And early African converts to Christianity were earnest and regular in private devotion. Each one reportedly had a separate spot in the thicket where he could pour out his heart to God. Over time, the paths to these places became well-worn. And as a result, if one of these believers began to neglect prayer, it was soon apparent to the others. They would kindly remind the negligent one, brother, the grass grows 
on your path. And church, I ask you this morning, is the grass growing on your path? Have you been neglecting prayer? The lesson here for us as we look back over this story, we can talk about prayer, we can talk about faith and the, the hymn we sang earlier, I appreciate that, have faith in God. But Peter, again, was walking in such relationship, in such partnership with the Lord. Again, because Peter's trusting God to do his part and God is wanting to use Peter to do the things that only Peter can do, that he can use Peter to do. And so I ask us this morning, are we walking in partnership with God daily in, in faithful prayer each and every day so that when the crisis comes, and they will come, we know that. I've said often that we're either uh, going into a crisis, coming out of one or right in the middle of one. But um, can we walk with God or are we walking with God each day so that when the crisis comes, we like Peter can rest. We like Peter can experience the peace of God and trust knowing that he is in control. Let me ask you the question that is, is um, the greatest question is, do you know and have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you haven't done that, the scripture tells us that today is the day of salvation. God loves you. He sent his son for you. We think of Peter and the ultimate sacrifice um, that he preached about, Jesus Christ himself. That's what got, kept getting Peter in trouble. He was preaching in, in Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the dead. And for the Jews, they were continuing to have a problem with that. But yet he did so boldly. Acts tells us each time it says they were filled with the spirit. And right after that, we hear a bold proclamation of Jesus Christ by Peter and the other apostles. Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? He is calling you. He's calling each of us to walk in that closer relationship with him. And what is our response? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that when we open it up, Lord, it speaks to us in ways that other books, that other words don't speak to us. There is something living, there is something active, there is something life-changing about these words. Father, take our humble attempt, Lord, through song and prayers and, and preaching this morning Lord, to, to show you honor and glory, take, take our humble attempt, Lord, to, to come into your presence and Lord, use us and mold us and shape us. Make us more into your image. Father, we confess that we fall short each and every week, each and every day. Lord, we don't walk faithfully with you at times as we should, but Lord, today may you challenge us to put our faith, to renew our faith in you this day. Lord, if there's one here today that have never put their faith and trust in you, I pray that they would respond to the good news of salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, speak to us in new ways. Father, as we sing and prepare to sing the song, wherever he leads, I'll go. Father, help these words not to just come off our lips haphazardly, but Father, help us to think about their meaning. And Father, help us to have that willing spirit that wherever you lead, we will go. We ask this prayer humbly in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you're here this morning and would like to talk about church membership, would like to, to talk with you about that. If you desire to pray, maybe you have something going on, I'll be glad to receive you and talk with you about that. If you wanna talk about what it means to know the Lord, I would love to, to talk with you about that as well. Let's stand and sing, wherever he leads, I'll go.
want to thank Tony Setzer for being here with his team this morning, with part of the team, I understand. And uh, we have lunch for you guys uh, immediately following the worship service. But Tony, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing a word with us this morning. Be in prayer for the uh, Harris family and also for the Costner family in, recent, uh, in the recent passing of Virginia Harris and Joey Costner. And they would appreciate those prayers um, not only today, but in the coming days this week as well. We have an exciting Sunday this next Sunday. It's a back to school Sunday. Julie Days will be sharing with us and Rusty Strat. Uh, we appreciate JT reading scripture this morning. That was Rusty's son. And they'll be sharing with us next Sunday in the service under the theme Voices of Influence. We've all had people that have been that influence, that, that person that has spoken the words, you can do this when we said you can't, when we were thinking I can't do this. And so they're gonna be challenging us in, in some fresh ways this next Sunday. Um, as uh, many will be returning to school, and I'm sure we'll be seeing many children and youth here, I know, part of that service this next Sunday. So uh, good to see you here this morning. Be sure to speak to maybe two people that you haven't spoken to before you leave today, and uh, let us sing together as we, as we close. <laughs> 